Hey everybody, Matt Hardman with another episode of the Race Nerd Podcast coming from right here in the mobile studio. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and thank you for continuing to support your home of the plethora of programming that is CKCC Radio. Uh, We got a lot to talk about. Uh, Obviously there was no show on Las Vegas last weekend. (laughs) Um... Even though I I did kind of have time for it, is I was uh, one day up all the way across the state visiting um, over by Oxford Plain Speedway. I was able to snap a picture of that um, beautiful track, uh, and uh, but obviously recording didn't go that well. Uh, I'm trying to record and use my GPS and everything else. It just didn't play in. Um, so an episode didn't get recorded for Las Vegas. So I'm going to try to get you caught up on two days worth of stuff. Uh, two weekends worth of stuff. Um, in one, uh, let's Vegas. Uh, we saw Chandler Smith win the truck race there. Um, then Ty Gibbs, who was be involved in an incident with Ryan Sieg early on in the race uh, to where Sieg would actually take himself out in a wreck trying to retaliate against uh, Gibbs and Snowfall in Vegas uh, would not deter uh, Joe Gibbs's grandson from his first win of the season and then we move on to the cup race at Las Vegas, which would see Alex the Bowman Showman uh, with a gamble there in Sin City uh, pick up his first win of the season, second for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, so yeah, that was that was certainly a weekend to behold, but uh, nothing like what we would see in Phoenix. And now Phoenix um, heading out there would start off on a bleak note as Steven Stotts, the hauler driver for uh, David Gilland Racing's uh, ARCA team driven by Taylor Gray, uh, Stotts would be involved in a accident just outside of Longview, Texas on his way to Phoenix. Uh, he was unfortunately killed. Uh, three others were injured, uh, including uh, two other team members which were traveling with Stotts in the team hauler and a passenger in another vehicle. A very, very sad day. Um, definitely in the Arca garage with that news uh, of Stotts passing. Um, but, you know, it, while being unfortunate, it was, it seemed to be a catalyst as. Taylor Gray was able to pick up his first win of the season um, in memory of Stotts uh, at Phoenix on Friday night. Uh, Saturday would be the Noah Gregson show as Gregson would pick up his first win at Phoenix in the Xfinity race uh, where he definitely was the class of the field. Um, And then on Sunday, we would see history be made and history be tied. And 
part of that is our pop quiznos for this episode. And that is which two NASCAR Hall of Famers hold the record for the most top tens consecutively at a single track? Let me rephrase that. Which two Hall of Famers hold the record for consecutive top tens at one track? Answer at the end of the show. Or later on in the show, I should say. Um, so, Sunday, uh, as I was getting to it, we, we had history be made. Uh, we would crown our 200th winner in the Cup Series. 200 winners out of over, I think the number was 3,400 drivers who have ever entered a Cup race. Uh, we've had our 200th different winner, and that winner is a young man who I do root for. Uh, I'm, no, no, no biases here, <laughs> folks, because uh, I'm already laying it out on the table. Uh, Chase Briscoe, um, the young man who took over the 14 car uh, last year after Clint Boyer's retirement uh, and would actually drive the car and the number of his hero growing up, uh, Tony Stewart. Briscoe would take the number 14 car to victory lane, uh, the first of his career. Remember, he got close last year uh, at Indianapolis in the in the road course there. Um, so, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, he has run pretty well. He had a good qualifying spot. Uh, early on in the race, it looked like the Ryan Blaney show. And uh, so, you know, this is really cool seeing seeing that moment. Um, Briscoe, who, you know, has had, you know, was a guy who just seven years ago was actually sweeping the floors at garages and doing everything to, to get a ride in the sport and actually had worked his way up throughout the years. Uh, eventually would win an ARCA championship uh, along with other accolades. Uh, and was certainly one of the two drivers to watch out for coming through the Xfinity series. Um, a few years back, his spirited battles with Austin Sindrick, um, heading into Phoenix in 2020, uh, eventually would land him this ride. And, uh, this was a, a really good race, a really good shot in the arm for Stuart Haas, a team which kind of has fallen off the last couple of years. Uh, they had a single win last year in 2020 with Eric Amarola, who, by the way, er Eric Amarola's streak of being the only driver to finish in the top 10 all in all the uh, cup races of the season was broken. Um, not by, not by bad luck or whatever. Amarola would actually finish 12th at, um, at Phoenix. So, I thought, I thought overall they were good. Uh, Kevin Harvick was pretty close to, uh, 
to pulling one off. Um, Harvick, who came into this weekend tied with 17, uh, with 17 straight top 10 finishes dating back to 2013 at Phoenix, um, goes in there, ties for the record of 18 with our pop quiz nose question, which I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, so, we have all that, and I, I think that this is a really good shot in the arm. Ross Chastain, who finished third last week and led the most laps at Las Vegas in the cup race, brings home a runner-up finish. Tyler Reddick uh, finishes in the top three. So, your first three drivers going into this race... Never had a NASCAR Cup Series win. So this would have been exciting. No matter which one of the three. Um, overall, you know, Briscoe gets it. But it would have been big news for any of those three to do it. Um, particularly, I think, between Briscoe and Chastain. Because a lot of people have expected uh, Tyler Reddick to win by now. Uh, he just, unfortunately, hasn't. But I think that this is... A really good shot in the arm, like I said, for Stuart Haas and whatnot. And three of the four Stuart Haas drivers were knocking on top tens for a good majority of the race. The only one that really wasn't, who kind of seemed out there, and uh, let's be honest, he seemed out there for like the last all season long. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's just speed or whatnot. Uh, is Cole Custer, who really hasn't lit the, the world on fire in SHR. I mean, he does have a win at the, at the final Kentucky race a few years back in his rookie season. But I, I'm not really seeing what I saw out of Custer in his Xfinity and truck years. So it's very interesting with that. Um, that whole thing, but I think that, uh, overall it was a really good race, and I, th I think we're finally seeing what this new car could do, it's closing up the, uh, the field between the haves and the have-nots, because a year ago, I don't think Trackhouse was anywhere near as good, um, the Richard Childress fleet of cars between... Uh, the cars out of the RCR stable and their satellite cars being Trackhouse and um, and even to an extent JGR Darty have been strong for the most part. So I really don't think that that the big chasm that we've had in previous years with the upper tier teams like a Penske or a Hendrick or a um, Joe Gibbs Racing are that much far apart than a um, than a smaller budgeted team. So I, I'm really enjoying this uh, this season so far. I know next they move on to Atlanta where they've instituted a the yellow line rule. Um, the do not pass under this line rule that they have at the super speedways. I think this is kind of a good call. Um, 
especially with the speeds in the resurfacing of the track. I think that this, um, you know, with all this, the speed that they're going to have, the, the new track configuration, along with the, um, along with the, uh, this new car, they want to make sure that everything is, is up to snuff. So I think that Sorry, I am changing the time of my car because apparently it's daylight savings time. And I had to reset it. Beauty of a new of a, a newer car, they usually reset on their own. Especially if you have a satellite radio and all, but this one didn't. Banners takes pride in renew. Oh, I apologize for that. <laughs> um so with that all said, you know, there's other news going on in the world of racing. Um, first and foremost, we have the fact that we have some news on the SRX front. As we do have a father-son pairing battling it out in the season finale. And that would be the fact that Dave Blaney, longtime uh, World of Outlaw uh, star and um, former NASCAR driver, will return to his dirt roots at Sharon Speedway, a track that the Blaney family is very, very familiar with. Uh, he will return and compete against his son, the Young Lion, uh, Ryan Blaney, and I believe this is the, only the second time uh, that that uh, Blaney has competed against his son. Uh, the first being the inaugural Eldora Truck Race, the 2013 Mud Summer Classic, um, where both of them were teammates at Brad Keselowski Racing, and. Uh, that was a race that I actually was at and got to attend, so that was really cool to see that. It's really cool to see them play, to race again against each other. Um, and uh, other names that have actually been announced that are coming back to the SRX series are um, last year's champion, the inaugural champion and co-founder of the series, Tony Stewart along with Haley Deegan, who will be in the car for some races next year. Um, and I'm trying to think of another. Um, I don't know if Ernie Francis has been announced. Uh, right now he's running for Force Indy in the... Uh, <coughs> in, in their um, their feeder series for IndyCar. As it seems that he'll have a, uh, a, um, a future in open wheel racing, which is good because Ernie Francis is a very talented young man. I'm glad that he's getting a shot. He's gone through the Drive for Diversity program in NASCAR, uh, found himself in the Trans Am series, um, and uh, actually was a former Trans Am champion. 
eventually got his spot on the big stage through the SRX series. So we will see who comes out of this year as their big shining star <coughs> in that series. Who knows, it may be a veteran who, you know, just hasn't really had much of a chance to race uh, so in recent years. But we got all that. We got, um, I had, while I was in my travels on Wednesday and I got to see Oxford Plain Speedway, I've only been up that way twice before. The first time, uh, many, many years ago, um, not long after I moved to the state of Maine. And the last time I was up that way was about eight years ago. Uh, so it had been quite a while. Hence, the reason why I didn't record, because I, I needed that time to really pay attention to my GPS. Um, um, because, you know, driving halfway across the state is not fun, especially when you rarely do that. Anyway, as I was saying... While I was up near Oxford, and don't mind me, I am opening up a Reese's, Reese's peanut butter egg and little snack to go along with the show. Um, news came out that Bailey Curry uh, had, a, had a new sponsor for the weekend, uh, a one-time sponsor. And I think that I was excited for this. And I think this may be one of the coolest sponsors of the season. Granted, yes, the season is early so far. And that is Bailey Curry and the JD Motorsports team of Johnny Davis. Uh, would be sponsored by the band Ghost. Um, the heavy metal band uh, with hits like Rats and Square Hammer. Who would be featured on Bailey Curry's um, number four Chevy Camaro uh, for the Xfinity race? Um, and this is in conjunction with uh, Ghost having a new album out. So I thought this was really cool. I, I personally like when you know mainstream things, uh, <coughs> whether it be movies or music, like to cross over. Certainly not the first time music has crossed over, uh, as bands like Kiss. And um, <clears throat> Uncle Cracker, Kid Rock, Three Doors Down, um, most definitely. I've definitely um, hopped onto this and been featured on Cars. Uh, so, I, I, I enjoyed this. Um, and um, it was really cool. I just wish, um, you know... Curry was up in that top 10, so we would have seen a lot more of the car. Uh, he did have a 20th place finish, or a top 20 finish um, in the race, so. Sorry, damn peanut butter sticking in the roof of my mouth. But anyway, um, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and hopefully it'll open the doors for... Um, more music-based um, sponsors throughout the season. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, there has been some talk uh, of the 2013 schedule. Um, when it was announced of um, Ben Rhodes becoming the chief 
Officer of Competition and Scheduling, Ben Rhodes, who is the great-grandson of NASCAR founder Bill France and the grandson of former NASCAR president Bill France Jr. and nephew of current um, president uh, Jim France. Uh, ben is a former driver, drove in the uh, K&N East Series and in the Truck Series for a few years uh, before um, moving on from driver to owner to um, getting up into the the um, the business side of the sport. Uh, so I think this was cool. One of his things that he was talking about was the possibility of the clash returning, um, which you know, for for all accounts, was successful. Um, and, uh, the talk of a street course had come up, particularly a street course in Chicago, NASCAR, where they had, uh, Chicagoland Speedway for many years on the schedule before it being taken off, uh, right around the time of the pandemic, uh, and not returning, as Chicagoland was one of the two tracks, um, that in Kentucky that was removed from the schedule and replaced, basically. Um, they've gone that whole time period without it. You know, it's only been two years, but um, NASCAR tried to get back into that Midwest market, that Chicago market. And uh, the idea of a street course, uh, to me, for stock cars, it's not appealing. It's not appealing. Uh, I, I like street courses with IndyCar, certain street courses with IndyCar, um, particularly Long Beach, uh, was a fun one, um, Lake, uh, not Lake Elkhart, uh, the Cleveland Grand Prix, which, uh, IndyCar ran for a number of years, which I which... Uh, was the Burkett Front Airport or the Burkett Airport, something like that. I thought that was a fun one, but there's just some places that don't uh, transfer over very well, much namely uh, Baltimore and um, let's try to think of some other bad examples. Houston was okay, but there were just some that really did not equate very well uh, for Indy cars, let alone stock car. Um, I do know that. Oh, Toronto is a good example of uh, an Indy car one. But there were just some that really did not equate very well. Um, like I know, Toronto continued on NASCAR as. Uh, what was then the cast car circuit, which is now NASCAR's Pinty's series. They, uh, they competed there for a number of years, uh, along with many other, uh, circuits on the cast car schedule. And while cast car was fun, it was just kind of disappointing, uh, for a lot of these road courses on street circuits. So the idea of a cup race on a street course, I'm not fully sold on. I mean, it could work, but overall, I just, I, 
I don't think two things when it comes to Chicago street course. One, I don't think it'll be that great. I mean, we've seen some street courses, which I've been wrong on. I, I was hyped for the initially for the IndyCar street course through Nashville. Uh, then when I saw the layout, I really wasn't too keen on it, especially crossing Memorial Bridge there. But when I watched the race, I thought it was great. I thought it was a fun race. Um, so I'm not keen, especially in cup cars in, in Chicago. And will Chicago wins in, you know, that Midwest bracket, will they actually show up for it? Uh, knowing that they have a speedway in Michigan, uh, that is all for it. Uh, I can be wrong. Maybe they'll show up like the same way that a lot of people were skeptical whether they would show up for the uh, Clash at the Coliseum. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think that overall it's a not a, not a decision to really take lightly and, and being, you know, not trying to sound like one of those old school fans and all. I, I don't think that it's really quite the, the one, the demographic, and two, you're kind of getting away what made NASCAR great. A lot of ovals. I mean, granted, we've seen a lot of cookie-cutter tracks, like all the tracks that are owned by Speedway Motorsports, Inc., all seem to have that same cookie-cutter type feel. Uh, but I, I don't think that this is, you know, the move to make, at least right now. Um, the sport is growing. So, I think that, this, you know, we don't want to overstep like we did in the 90s, uh, which um, which saw a lot of traditional places, uh, most notably North Wilkesboro, and later on Rockingham go away, uh, which there is a huge groundswell to bring North Wilkesboro back, and there actually has been improvements on the track so far. Uh, tearing down a lot of the old buildings and all. Um, but I just think that this is not to move to make, at least in the time being. Let's see if, you know, places like the Coliseum or some of these road courses like Coda uh, or, you know, the Circuit of the Americas uh, are, um, are a, a long-term, substantial and feasible uh, thing. Um, leave the road leave the road courses and the street courses to IndyCar because it seems like that's what they're more towards right now. But um, as far as this, they are um, they're kind of not really there yet for something along the lines of a street course. So anyway. Um, that's pretty much catching you up on the last two weeks. Once again, I apologize. But I do, before I go, have an answer to this week's Pop Quiznos. And that is, which two Hall of Famers hold the record for the most consecutive top tens at a single track? Both of them are inaugural uh, class Hall of Famers in NASCAR. And that is the King Richard Petty and the late great Dale Earnhardt. Who hold the record for 18 straight top tens at the same track, ironically. And that is North Wilkesboro. Uh, so there you go. Anyway, I'm Matt Hardman. Until next time, I will see you at the track. Bye.